The Start On Demand. On demand. A horrifying case of animal cruelty in Winnipeg has turned out to be even worse, as three dead dogs were discovered at a property on Holmes Street where 15 dogs had been found in beyond disgusting conditions. British Parliament is expected to vote down Theresa May's Brexit deal. Just how catastrophic will that be? The Winnipeg Blue Bombers make a big signing that will hopefully help them get to the top of the hill. And what's the coldest weather you've ever experienced? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Tuesday, January 15th podcast for The Start. Yesterday in the news, a school in my old neighborhood of Transcona. Yeah, Arthur Day Middle School. They went into a hold and secure mode yesterday based on some social media threats. And we've had this situation in schools in Manitoba in the past, just in the last several months, Loren. And I don't know if we've ever seen such a blatant or... Uh, complete description of what these social media posts have looked like uh, until we got one yesterday. Well, we don't always get them or know what's being said, right? But some of the students um, in that school have gone on to share it because they're the ones that saw it first. And potentially they might even be the ones that alerted the school or authorities to begin with because they're the ones on social media. But um, yeah, the, the message from the person who made the threat said he thinks school sucks and quote, maybe I should show up and start a school shooting. I mean, who would care anyways, right? Right. And then the responses were pretty quick, it would seem, and very direct. WTF, you're so blank messed up just because you want to die from a blank school shooting doesn't mean we want to. And no, you're not right. And then somebody else says that's effed up. Like, yeah, we hate that school, but you don't have to shoot it up. And just such a graphic depiction goes back to part of the discussion we had yesterday with re- in terms of the Yellow Vest uh, posts uh, or alleged posts from certain sympathizers with the Yellow Vest movement with regard to Justin Trudeau, death threats against the Prime Minister, and one of our colleagues at a Kamloops radio station who had some very graphic uh, depictions in terms of what some of those folks would like to see done to him and his family. So it had us contemplating yesterday the social media, the idea that you can hide behind your keyboard and stay anonymous to a certain extent, allow you to go that extra step and say things you wouldn't otherwise verbalize. And to see it verbalized this way has to be shocking, has to be bothersome for the students involved, Brett. Yeah, and it's kind of like the new bomb threat. I mean, how many times did you ever work with a in colleague school, yeah. who would say, oh, man, I don't feel like being at work. Somebody calling a bomb threat, right? Yeah, yeah. And is this the new version of that? Well, in my day and age, it was pulling the fire alarm. Mm-hmm. We That happened probably four or five times a year in high school, and you knew somebody had a test that they weren't <laughs> prepared for, and you know it would cost the school. I think they would sometimes get charged well, for start false alarms, right? Because the school got fined for having the, the fire crew called in, right? What a waste of resources that is. This is this to me is, is a situation that has 
well, it has so many problems, but one, you know, when you make that threat out loud, Brett, that you talked about somebody overhearing someone say, jokingly, we can call in a bomb threat, you can hear their tone. And then you know that that person's obviously not serious, A, about a joking bomb threat or an actual bomb threat. But when you read something on like this, um, on the social media post from a from a possible student talking about wanting to create a school shooting, you can't you can't infer from that whether that person's serious or not unless you actually know them personally. So a tone is so different on social media, so that becomes a problem. And then you have an issue where we have grown adults making threats against the prime minister, or in that case of the radio station announcer we were talking about yesterday, adults who don't know better not to go online and make those statements. And now we want our kids to not be so stupid to go online and make those statements. But we're not. what are we teaching them if we don't crack down on that stuff? So should there be bigger punishments for those who even make innocuous jokes? Like, I don't know, because because what, am I, what are you supposed to learn if it's just funny? I was just joking around. It didn't mean anything. Obviously, I'm not going to shoot that person. Well, I don't know that. I can't read this and tell that. Well, the flip side is that in a lot of these U.S. school shootings, they will do a forensic audit of of the individual who's perpetrated these shootings and they'll go, there were hints here in the social media messages and the things that they were saying online, things they were saying even in their essays to their teachers, what signals were missed. So that's the flip side. Sometimes these are little are, are actual warnings of things that may actually happen. So you've got to balance that out as well. You can't just dismiss this as hyperbole or someone that's saying thing that something that they don't really mean. Because they may mean it. And that is the tightrope that school administrators walk because they know from history that sometimes these are predictive in -hmm. nature. I can't imagine having to navigate that tightrope you mentioned and being that educator to have to sit there and decide, is this kid just having a bad day and he's joking around or is this kid serious? Or in the case of police, when they have threats reported to them from adults, Is this adult serious? I mean, at the end of the day, we talked about this back in the fall. Selkirk School Division had that series of threats being made. I think at one point they had to shut down all the schools in the division because they were concerned about the seriousness of that online threat. And talking to the superintendent the next day, she said, in addition to teaching educators on how to handle these, we need to talk to our students about posts like these and to stop making them because... It's not funny. Well, and then students and parents alike get all worked up about zero tolerance policies for certain things and certain conversations happening at school, certain items coming or not coming to school and and being displayed or carried in a certain way. So uh, this is the thing. You reap what you sow to a certain degree. And this just highlights the fact that, you know, I don't know if I want to say this. Is it is, is it a lack of access to weapons that prevents us from having a very different conversation on a day like today. And for those who are wondering, where is Arthur Day Middle School? It's sort of tucked away in Transcona. I lived in Transcona, and even I had a hard time finding it whenever I had to go there. It's sort of hiding just off of Wayota. Uh, it's on. It's at 43 Whitehall Boulevard, so it's not a street you would know unless you lived right in that neighborhood, and it's kind of just around the bend uh, when you hang a right off of Whitehall. And the thing that I remember about that particular school, it has nothing to do with the, the topic, but I just recall this school, and maybe somebody listening right now can confirm if this is still a thing. When I used to play basketball in the schoolyard in the summertime or what have you, we would sometimes go to Arthur Day and they had like the the hoops I swear to God were like a regulation hoop is 10 feet 
off the ground, but I'm sure these were at least 12 feet. And I, I checked the Google Street Map. It looks like it's the same hoops that have been there forever because no one can reach the rim. They yeah, probably put it up high. They're vandal-proof. Yeah. yeah. You can't, you, if you wanted to dunk on them, you couldn't. Mm-hmm. You practically needed a trebuchet to sink a three-pointer. Oh, oh, what? A trebuchet. Please explain. It's like a fancy catapult. Oh, my goodness. In, in the layman's terms, it's a type of catapult, a common type of siege engine, which uses a swinging arm to throw a projectile. The I've fact never that, heard of this in my fa- life. The fact that the terminology common type of siege weapon, <laughs> sorry, those shouldn't be in the same <laughs> sentence again. Common type, you know, it's just one of those regular trebuchet, did I say that correctly? Yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah, yeah, just one of those off-the-shelf trebuchets. Go down to trebuchets or us. If we ever fall back into medieval times, we'll have to build a trebuchet. I'm with you, man. Download those plans now. Up next, we're going to find out how cold was it in Greg's story. And we have Def Leppard tickets to give away right after we look at traffic and weather, starting in three minutes on CJOB. So with this impending cold snap, it's going to be cold. Windshield down to minus 35. Tonight that got us thinking, what is the coldest weather we've ever experienced? Jeff Braun is here. Kelly Moore is here. Jeff Forte is taking the phones right now, so we'll check in with him in a bit. But Greg, I got to know, what's the story? You said 22 years ago. Yeah, the, the winter of 1996, January 1996, I'd escaped Manitoba, was living in the Okanagan, but my mom needed emergency heart surgery. And I have two younger siblings that are considerably younger than I am. They were school-aged, and my mom didn't want them to miss school. So I volunteered to come home from the Okanagan to look after my brother and sister for two weeks. Well, I'm looking back at the weather records, and my memories bang on here because I'm thinking, I don't think it got above minus 30 for the entire two weeks. Starting in January 17th, the overnight low was minus 32 or 31.2 rather it didn't the overnight low was never above that there were several overnights below minus 40 and the warmest it got during the day over that stretch was minus 21.8 i remember that we set a record if memory serves me correct, for the most consecutive days without getting above minus 20. I think that sounds exactly accurate. Well, in the middle of all this, of course, you're plugging in your car. Well, I mentioned those two big husky dogs uh, that got their uh, jaws on a chicken once upon a time. Well, they also somehow, you know how things get brittle in the cold? Mm -hmm. Got a little too cold to the car and snapped off the plug end. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So think about stripping wire when it's minus 35 outside to reattach the plug because I wasn't going anywhere. I'm on the farm south of Boisevain. I'm not going anywhere without a vehicle. So I had to fix the cord in order to... um, in order to be able to go oh anywhere and had, yeah. had to do it outside because the car cord was affixed to the house or what have you. It was a harrowing experience that I will never, ever forget. And you would think after an experience like that, I never would have come back, but I did. <laughs> Here you are. <laughs> Kelly, what's the coldest you've ever experienced? I was on a, a road trip every year. The junior hockey club that I did the play-by-play for made a prairie road trip. And I remember there was one night in particular in Regina. They said it was minus 56. Oh, my God. And 
Like oh, the temperature or with with the wind? Uh, I think it was just the temperature. Come on. Yeah, it was minus 56. And I don't even think it was windy, to tell you the truth. But all I remember is getting on the bus after the game. And here's the driver using a credit card to scrape the frost from inside oh. off the windshield. <laughs> My word. <laughs> and I, yeah, I was living, well, of course, I was living in BC at the time. But I thought, holy crows, I, w- I never, ever want to live in Regina. And even after living in the prairies for as many years as I have. I still don't want to live in Regina. That a boy, Kelly. I thought you would have had an Ice Age story. Oh, 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 come on. How long, how long did you have to sit on that one, bro? Not very long. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what about you, Jeff? Uh, same month as Greg. This is January 96. I was living in Brandon in college, and a number of things happened. The place that uh, my buddy and I lived in, it was this old house that we rented. It was split into like four apartments kind of thing. And the, all the pipes froze, so we had no water for three straight weeks, except for the toilet work, thank God. But So every morning I had to walk three blocks to my friend's house and use her shower, and then walk three blocks back to my house with a wet head, and then wait for someone from my class to come give me a ride to school because my car also didn't start for the three whole weeks. It was the worst three weeks like of my even life. Even when it was plugged in, it didn't start? Yeah, so like no, just, nothing. Just it was, I mean, it was a 1982 Ford, Ford Fairmont. Yeah. So there, were ex- there were extension cords all over Brandon and Winnipeg for yeah. those two or three weeks, people plugging their cars on the street. Yeah. And I don't even think the, the city was giving people a hard time about it because, you, you know, you'd go to a Wheat Kings game. I was at yeah. a Wheat Kings game and they've got the CAA trucks on standby because yeah. they know half the people for at the sure. game are going to need a boost, right? I or, did get one God. boost and then the next day it didn't start again. So I was right. like, well, I guess I'll just wait till the cold snaps over before I can drive. When I went to school, uh, university in Ontario, but I had a girlfriend move back here to work at the Free Press at the time and she had never heard of plugging in the car because she lived uh, in the Toronto area and I never forget the day she came home just furious like holding up her extension cord like you won't believe like some a-hole why stole my extension cord ripped <laughs> it right out of my car blah 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 and finally I'm like do you think you might have pulled though you maybe and, drove yeah. away and uh, did it yourself and she's like that makes more sense because <laughs> everybody already has an extension cord. So uh, why would I have done it? But yeah, I still think like in my memory, uh, I, have, I have a lot of ones from my childhood because we used to have to wait for the bus at the end of the lane. But I still think that winter of 2014, like the the coldest winter since 18. What the Arctic, the, the vortex or whatever, whatever, the, whatever, like America was blaming us for all their cold weather and all the rest like <laughs> that to me, because we had to work outside. I was a reporter and I had to go outside every single day to do things. And there was just no way. It was an exception to stay warm. Right. Yeah. And it'd be one thing if you had a couple days and you could see the end of it. But that was like, oh. I think there was 40 days of minus 30 or more weather in that short period, right? Like it was, in, I, to me, that still stands out like as unbelievable cold. Forte. I can, I can, was it like three or four years ago on New Year's Eve, it was minus no. 50 something uh, with the wind chill. And I believe they actually named a place on Mars, Winnipeg, after uh, how cold <laughs> it was here. But no, just that night, I remember like running outside from a party, went from a party to my friend's car and like your fingers freeze, your ears would freeze. Your nose, like, you were frozen instantly. And, yeah, that was just recently, so I thought I'd bring that up. Adam texted us saying, I was working working in the Arctic nine years ago, and I had to walk between our building. It was like 50-yard walk. 
in uh, minus 65 with wind chill blizzard. Oh, my gosh. So I think he's got us all beat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. They said they went in groups of three holding a rope. That must be up on the dew line. That's yeah. My stepdad worked up there for 15 years. He was My stepdad's from the Caribbean. <laughs> and it's like, Charles, how do you deal with that? He goes, extreme weather is extreme weather, Greg. Text message, Greg, before we move on and talk about this animal cruelty situation, which is just awful. Uh, Great text message on the subject of the cold. Yeah, the consensus is 1996 was the winter of historical record around here on the subject of cold weather. My son was born January 18th, 1996, driving to the hospital on the 17th at 10 p.m. The roads were deserted and the wind was blowing the snow across the road. I have a printout of the weather for that day. And at 9 in the morning, it was minus 50 wind chill. I was in Victoria Hospital looking out at Pembina Highway, and there was hardly any traffic. The temperature for the following weeks was brutal, and I was stuck inside with a newborn and a three-year-old. And I remember when the radio said it was going to be a high of minus 27, thinking that it was finally warming <laughs> up. That from a first-time text messenger at 780-6868. Uh, I hope it's a situation where that's a long-time first-time listener. Yeah, that is just brutal. Yeah, the, the minus 50 situation, I can't remember the date, unfortunately. I want to say it was January 18th, 2008, because it was the day that the movie Cloverfield opened. At least that's what I remember, but my memory is terrible. But uh, it was the first time that I'd ever experienced it as an adult that I can recall, um, and uh, I just remember the walk from St. Vitale Mall, the the theater there, to my car. Uh, I was basically like a, like a Frankenstein's monster, just kind of stiff-legged because I could barely mm-hmm. move. It was so and cold. And things don't bend, right? Like your clothing gets yeah. stiff. Or when you everything. don't want to. No, no well, but you're true. You have that hunched feeling, but like your parka gets that crinkly kind of stiff feeling to it, and things just get like... Everything freezes. Yeah, it was awful. And sitting in my car, it didn't warm up the whole drive. I'm surprised it even started. And I remember going to Tavern United on Regent afterward and uh, just looking around. You could see the long long underwear sticking out of all the guys' jeans. It was just that kind of a cold day. Uh, so, yeah, cold weather sucks, and we're, gonna, we're in for it for the next few days. But it doesn't look like it's going to be super extended. So at least there's some relief in that. But no relief I guess there's relief in the sense that the dogs are okay, but the fact that they had to experience this is just makes me angry. So Mm. I'm going to pass this to you, Well, it makes a lot of people angry, and and there might be more. We've got calls out to Winnipeg Police this morning for a possible update on the woman who was hit with several charges after she was accused of abandoning 15 dogs in those deplorable conditions. There are reports that police were called back to that house on Home Street, and again, we're working to confirm that. But in the meantime, here's what we know about the dogs that were found there. On January 4th, Winnipeg police were in the Daniel McIntyre neighborhood on a totally unrelated call when they noticed this strong smell coming from a particular house. As they got closer, they apparently saw a number of dogs barking and clawing. And so they called in animal services. And when they stepped inside, they found these 15 dogs in a terrible state and urine and feces all over the home. The smell was apparently so horrible, Constable Jay Murray says it lingered with officers for days. Um, They had to wash their clothes numerous times. Even just transporting these dogs, the cruiser cars had to be contaminated. Um, These were absolutely deplorable conditions. And I've been told that this is one of the worst conditions that animal service officers have been, or the conditions of the home were some of the worst that these animal services officers had ever seen. Police said the dogs had been left inside the home alone for anywhere 
between one and four weeks. Leland Gordon is the head of Winnipeg's Animal Services and says it appears the dogs had grown so hungry they had started to eat pieces of the wall. Uh, they were all covered in poop. Um, they were uh, multiple ear infections on the dogs. Um, and then some of the nails were actually starting to curl over because the nails were so long. Um, but the most disturbing thing here uh, in this case is there's a lot of, I would say, dog psychological issues. In other words, you see how this dog is acting right now. Uh, just imagine you're living uh, in a home uh, with horrific conditions uh, for quite some time. You don't have access to proper food or water. You don't have access to the outdoors. Um, you know, some of the dogs were actually pooping drywall at animal services. So there were pieces of drywall in their feces uh, when they were at our facility. Um, so because of this horrible life these dogs have been experiencing, um, you can just imagine where some of them are skittish. Um, some of them are just going to need a lot more time uh, before they're suitable for adoption. Yes, I know that audio is graphic and quite frankly gross, but we play it to depict the severity of the situation. Have you ever heard of that? Dogs relieving themselves of drywall. It's just disgusting. It's horrible. Christy, Crystal Marie Malloy has since been charged with several counts under the Animal Care Act, including inflicting acute suffering on an animal. Winnipeg police have said this is not a puppy mill situation, but potentially a case where the accused just became overwhelmed. A situation that might be more common than you would first think. Animal Services offered this advice. If you're getting overwhelmed, because again, we don't know what was going on in this person's life. If you're getting overwhelmed, and of course you have too many dogs, talk to your friends, family members, co-workers, all that kind of stuff. Try and get help. Talk to animal shelters, rescues. Don't just leave the dogs sitting in a home in conditions like this for who knows how long because those dogs were at risk of dying. And if the great team at the Winnipeg Police Service had not um, just by chance happened upon these dogs, who knows if these dogs uh, uh, would have survived. So we're going to have the Humane Society back on uh, at 8.35. That was the Animal Services talking. We're going to speak with Humane Society just about the uh, what might have happened here and, and whether there's any other additional information they can provide. And also, uh, the pets are being put up for adoption, so that's important for people to know and to stay tuned on when they might be able to adopt the dogs should you have that interest. Mackley, McGarry, McNabb, we're going to speak to the Humane Society in a moment. But before we do that, I'm going to try something here. I don't know if this is going to translate. I'm just going to hold my phone up to the microphone. Hopefully you can hear this wind. Hmm. There's more commentary, I think. But it's not pleasant. (laughs) You're just outside the building there. Yeah, I just went outside to see what's going on. And uh, you literally have to hold on to your hats. It blew my hat away. (laughs) You think right there, there's kind of that blocked area that we'd have a little protection from the wind, but clearly not. Well, I stepped out from behind the the wind thing. Well, and we have like a tunnel here. If you're familiar with 1440 Jack Blick, there's a little skywalk Mm. that connects the two buildings. So the wind really funnels down there. But it is windy. It may be the second windiest place in Winnipeg after Portage and Maine, maybe just slightly ahead of the, just outside the doors of the Richardson International Airport. Mm. I always comment on, you know, when people get off the plane and they go to grab a cab or step across the road to get picked up, Boom. people know they're in Winnipeg. <laughs> there is no question about like that. that. 
And we have some visibility issues as well. We have somebody texting us at 204-780-6868 saying driving from Brandon to Winnipeg, Eli area, very bad visibility. And we do have a blowing snow advisory in effect for areas west and southwest of Winnipeg as that northwest wind clearly has picked up quite dramatically. We are expecting it to get up to 70 kilometers an hour at some point today. may already be there. So just watch out if you're heading outside. One of the colleagues walking in said she was having a hard time breathing as she was walking straight into the wind. It's dangerous wind chills out there, right? So just keep that in mind. We can all say, oh, we've been through it before, but then you forget your mitts or your toque. Yeah, it's going to get cold today. So get ready. It is starting right now. Another disturbing discovery has been made at the home where police say 15 dogs were found in a deplorable state. Yeah, Winnipeg police just telling Global News a few minutes ago that they were actually called back to the house in the Daniel McIntyre neighbourhood around 5 p.m. yesterday after three dead dogs were found in a container in the garage. It sounds like the accused was a renter. The property owner went back to that property to check things out and then made that discovery. Now, police say that could lead to new charges, that discovery of three deceased dogs, or could be used to substantiate the existing charges They have previously said they believe the accused likely became overwhelmed with the number of animals she had. And we're going to dig deeper into that when we can. But to discuss this story further, we're first joined by Winnipeg Humane Society CEO Javier Shrasensky. Good morning, Javier. Good morning, how are you? We're very well, thank you. I know there's a lot to talk about here. We just want to first get to the role the Humane Society has played. I understand there's an ongoing investigation, but you were called back or your group was called back to the scene yesterday as well to assist police. Yes, I can confirm that uh, uh, we got a call from the police service at around 4 p.m. to assist them um, going back to the uh, to the others. And we did uh, go and we did assist the uh, the police and and some activity had uh, and had taken place. Um, and because this is led by the Winnipeg Police Service and, and now uh, probably the Crown, uh, we're not at liberty to discuss what happened. Um, but I can and do confirm that we were supporting the Winnipeg Police Service uh, yesterday as well. Yes. Can you tell us how common this is, Javier? How often in a year does the Humane Society get called into a situation, maybe not exactly like this, but similar, uh, because the scope seems as though it's a, as large as anything we've seen in an awful long time in our community? Yes, and it is extremely unfortunate. And, and uh, actually, yesterday I received the stats from the team for uh, 2018. So, in from January to December of 2018, we attended 1,806 cases. Uh, that was roughly 15,000 hours of our uh, staff time. Uh, roughly 400, and, uh, or not roughly 401 animals were uh, seized. Uh, and uh, in terms of rehabilitation of uh, these uh, mostly dogs, we spend uh, roughly 13,258 combined days uh, working with uh, seized animals. 800 plus calls, more than 400 dogs seized. But what are we talking about? Does it run the gamut in terms of the condition they're in or what the circumstances might be? Can you flesh that out a little bit for us? Yes, it you know it, it does. And uh, there's... Definitely, um, you know, what we're seeing is uh, some some cases, which I would say is the minority of them, uh, maybe a dozen or so, are really mean individuals that want to harm animals. But then we have issues like substance abuse or elderly individuals that are unable to care for their uh, their pets, but they think they can. 
and then hoarding situations, people that um, are in certain neighborhoods in town where uh, either dogs are left in the cold or cats are just let go and people try to save them by keeping them and then they become completely overwhelmed by the number of animals that now they have to take care of and they are not fixed and the animals are produced and there's food and allergies and other situations or you know some some animals may or may not get along cleaning becomes an issue as well the neighbor is concerned we get the call and and then we attend but also i mean the number that i gave you the 1106 cases are just the winnipeg humane society as a charity then you have the activity of the winnipeg police service as this one, for example, or colleagues and friends of animal services or the province. So um, if the number is probably double this, um, if I'm taking an educated guess. And is the uh, number up, heavier in terms of year over year? Yes. Um, more individuals have pets in their lives, which means more issues. But also, uh, I cannot stress enough the, the issues of uh, substance abuse and domestic violence, which are also on the rise. And we don't judge people, but they are realities in our society. And pets are attached to you humans. So that's the link. Now, this is likely going to be a morbid question. And we don't know the circumstances that led to the death of these dogs, these three dogs found in a container in the garage. But what should people do if, say, you come home and your your pet has died? I know some friends of mine who have come home and found their aging cat had passed away. So what? who do you call when you encounter that situation? Well, your veterinarian uh, should be the first place because they may have arrangements with, uh, you know, a cremation company, um, or they might be able to uh, to help you, um, you know, collect the, uh, the animal and, and uh, send it to a cremation uh, service. They can also certainly contact the Woodpeck Humane Society uh, through our website or uh, our phones, and uh, uh, we will be able to also assess the situation and help them out. We do not necessarily pick them up, but we can uh, certainly direct them and provide them uh, with different options in terms of where where to go. And the, the option, of course, is if you want your veterinarian to perform an autopsy, if you see if you feel that's required. Uh, if you suspect there might be poisoning involved, for example, or if you just want perhaps the ashes of your pet and to just, you know, um, dispose them humanely uh, once they've passed on. Javier, if I'm interpreting at least one or two of your answers correctly, this feels as though at times this can be a case of people trying to do the right thing. Uh, they have the, the right heart. Their heart is in the right spot, shall we say, and things just get away from them. That that is correct, and and you know, lots of people have the best of intentions. Uh, they're just unfortunately not equipped, or um, sometimes we just don't realize the amount of work and and the different challenges that you may face. So, uh, and once you're you're kind of knee deep into it, um, it's very difficult to to step away. Um, and to reach out for, for help, because if you do reach out for help, you do risk, you know, uh, charges if you, the animals are not being properly uh, taken care of. So it becomes extremely complex, absolutely. All right, Javier Spensky, thank you so much for joining us this morning. We appreciate the time. Thank you, guys, and stay warm. All right, you too, sir. Thank you very much. Javier Schwarzenski, CEO of the Winnipeg Humane Society. And in case you were just tuning in, once again, Winnipeg police were called back to the home street 
property where 15 charges of animal cruelty were handed out against a woman living there after they found three deceased dogs in a container in the garage. And we will keep you up to date on this situation as we learn more details. Breakfast with the Bombers, brought to you by the Cooperators. Find an advisor at cooperators.ca, a better place for you. And we're very excited to speak to the man we are going to be speaking with, and we will introduce him in a moment. But before we do that, you may have heard in the newscast breaking news from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. They have re-signed the CFL's most outstanding defensive player, Adam Bighill, to a multi-year extension. And we referenced, Greg, before sports, right around 721, that the Bombers had just within the last five minutes posted a rather cryptic video to their Instagram story. And then you found it on their Twitter as well. So I'll just play the music that, that was accompanied with that video. And then you can give us sort of a live play-by-play of what you're seeing. So a rather shadowy finger figure comes down the escalator What at what appears to be Winnipeg Airport, one of the... Employees of the Blue Bombers feverishly putting together a jersey. We're unclear of the name. We're unclear of the number. The shadowy figure retrieves his bag from the carousel at Richardson International Airport, is welcomed into a black vehicle, and then that's it. We see a Blue Bomber logo for the W. Helmet in the stall in the... Blue Bomber dressing room. It's all quite dramatic. <laughs> and then they posted right at 7.30 on their Twitter and Instagram. It's official. At Big Hill 44 is making Winnipeg home for the next three years. Accompanied by this rather fitting music. Little Biggie? Yeah. Oh. It's now some Eminem. A variety of highlights from Mr. Big Hill. Some very exciting news for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And we got to ask our guest what he thinks about this news, and let's set this up with this. First and 10 at the 38 is a fake to Harris, and going long for Darvin Adams. He's open at the 30, the 20, a bomber touchdown, Darvin Adams. Beautiful throw by Matt Nichols. Matt Nichols is our guest, and Matt, is it okay if we start a discussion this morning about the signing of the quarterback of your defense, Adam Big Hill, to a three-year contract? Yeah, well, first of all, actually, you guys just broke the news to me on that one, but uh, that description had me on the edge of my seat there. That was uh, very impressive stuff. And, uh, man, it's uh, it's incredible. Uh, I knew he wanted to be back, and um, obviously a huge piece for, for our team and where we want to get to. So, uh, man, huge signing. Uh, I can't be more excited to play with, uh, you know, a guy like Adam with his talents and you know just him as a person, our families have gotten pretty close and uh, definitely very exciting news. A lot of people, Matt, were worried and fans particularly that he might not choose to come back, might want to stay back in BC and not make Winnipeg his home for the next few years. Did you always believe he was going to make this choice or did, was there part of you that worried yourself a bit this offseason? You know, honestly, uh, I think especially the second half of the season, I just kind of always found myself sitting next to Adam on team buses and and on flights when we were traveling and got to know him really well. And uh, uh, I, I got a good sense that he loved, you know, kind of what, you know, Wade and Kyle and, and Osher building in Winnipeg. And, he, you know, he loved the, the locker room and the guys. And you know, I really felt like he, he loved, he, you know, truly loved his time there. And, you know, talking to him about kind of how it's, you know, it, it, it can be, 
wearing to, you know, try and do the NFL route and, and all that. And, um, you know, I know that he had a lot of fun playing football last year, but sometimes when you get to the length of careers that we've had, uh, sometimes that's the most important thing. I know he was having fun in Winnipeg, and uh, I, I truly believed and didn't think for a second that he'd be playing anywhere else. Well, Adam Big Hill is going to be in the press room at Investors Group Field today at 1 o'clock. He will also, before that, join Jeff Courier live this morning just after the 11 o'clock news on 680 CJOB. If you want to see those videos as well, you can go to Winnipeg Blue Bomber social media or 680 CJOB's Instagram and Twitter as well. We've reposted them there. Now, Matt, uh, as far as you're concerned... Last season's results, obviously not the way you or the team wanted them to go. So how does that feed your preparation and motivation heading into the 2019 CFL campaign? Yeah, I mean, every year, you know, last three years, uh, we've we've taken a next step every year, you know, from uh, going to the playoffs to hosting a playoff game to winning a playoff game. Uh, you know, we're taking steps in the right direction, but uh, you know, after that Calgary game, you just kind of see that there is just, you know, that last little hurdle and, and uh, whatever that is, you know, for me, it's, uh, you know, focusing on the areas in my game that I felt like I um, can definitely improve on. And that's, uh, you know, getting back to running a little bit more, you know, like I had in, in 2017. And uh, so for me, it's, you know, really working on you know, my speed work and my uh, mental preparation to kind of do some more, uh, you know, improvising and, and running around back there and making some more plays. So, you know, that starts with, you know, having a clean diet and working out differently. And uh, so I'm trying to do everything I can to make sure that, uh, you know, I do my part to get us over the hump. But, I mean, we're, we're right there. And um, we've, we've been a great team in a tough West. And, um, you know, none of these guys are satisfied with being a couple of plays away from going to a great cup. Obviously, you know, we want to take that next step this year. We were talking earlier about the coldest winters we could remember. Consensus seems to be 1996. I know you moved your family here full-time last year. It was a pretty easy winter last year. It's been pretty good so far. You're about to get a, a major test here unless you're going to bug out here. You're going to head to California, Mexico, get some warmer weather. What's the plan? No, we've actually taken uh, – we're a couple months in Washington this offseason and uh, you know, get to see family and everything. And luckily this is probably the – most mild winter we've had here in 10 years. So um, I've, I've had a little reprieve, but I'm actually in the airport right now, heading back up to Winnipeg. And so you know, I get to soak in this uh, this cold week we have coming up here. Our, our PR guy, Darren Cameron, did a great job of sending me the entire weather report for the week <laughs> that I'm there, which was uh, very kind of him. <laughs> the rapport that uh, the players seem to have. I know you become a, a, a fan of the, the Winnipeg Jets and follow what they do. And, you know, it takes a certain type of player to want to play in a market like Winnipeg in the National Hockey League. You're under the microscope and, you know, you're in the community in a different way. And I think it's the Blue Bombers that have decided that they want to embrace that spotlight that are really enjoying their time here. Is there a fair comparison there, Matt? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, it can be difficult at times, I guess, when you, you know, when you're in a, a market that's as passionate as Winnipeg. But at the same time, I mean, all the great things that come with it, with how much support you get and how excited people get for what you do and, and come out and support you and, uh, you know, fill up our stadiums. You know, I'm, I'll be at the Jets game tonight and, uh, um, you know, get to get a little bit of that feeling. You know, every time I go to a Jets game, when I hear the, I want the national anthem in, it's like, you know, I'm ready to play a football game. That's what, you know, that's what that means to me. But, um, uh, you know, it's a it's an awesome place to play, and 
Um, you know, I think that you're seeing more and more guys understand that, you know, like, like Adam coming back. I mean, you see guys that have a choice to go somewhere else and want to be in Winnipeg because of, uh, you know, how much support you do get and, uh, you know, how much passion is there, you know, whether, whether, you know, whether all the time it's, uh, um, you know, it can be difficult, obviously, if, you, if you're struggling, but, you know, that's something that just, uh, you know, can motivate you to, uh, to turn it around. And, uh, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a special place for sure, especially for the CFL, obviously, with, uh, you know, I think it's one of the best fan bases in the league and, and um, you know, the support that we get and the, the amount of people we have coming out to our games and stopping me everywhere I go around the city uh, is, a, is definitely an awesome place to play. It's Breakfast with the Bombers. Our guest is starting quarterback Matt Nichols. Now, Matt, uh, on this panel of three, it's no secret that Greg is the, the biggest one out of the, of the, on the sportsings. Uh, <laughs> McNabb would be next in line, and then I'd be third on the, the sports ex- expertise. So we have a couple of non-football. What was that, what was that word you use? Sportsings. sportsings. The sportsings. Okay. I like the sportsings. Right. <laughs> uh, Clearly a sports guy yeah. <laughs> using that word, Matt. <laughs> so we have a couple of non-football questions. I do like golf, though. I want to ask you about that in a second. Uh, but McNabb, I know, has a couple of questions for you. Well, we talked a lot about the football players, but what they do, in the offseason. Then we had Drew Walatarski on a few weeks ago. He's a snowboarder. He plays music, plays the guitar. So I was curious, do you have a non-football-related skill you like to really hone in on in the offseason? I'm incredible at making Mickey Mouse pancakes for my daughter. <laughs> um, I I can play um, I can play dogs and horses and everything with the rest of them. And, uh, <laughs> so, so my, my offseason, honestly, is uh, you know, work out a couple hours a day, and you know, n- not a lot of parents get to do what you know my wife and I get to do, and that's uh, I, I get to hang out with my daughters all day, every day for six months, and, and they don't see much of dad during the season. But uh, my off season is you know, taking them to Disneyland and Disney World this year, and uh, that's kind of my off season. Just work out and, and uh, you know, watch my kids grow up, and uh, you know, try and try and show them some cool stuff along the way. Now, even though I'm not into the, the sports things as much as the other guys here, I do like golf, and I was at the Winnipeg Blue Bomber Golf Tournament at Southwood on August 27th. How did you do that day? Uh, well, they kind of have me the last couple of years bouncing around group to group. Uh, my first year there, uh, you know, a couple of weeks after I got traded, we won the Banjo Bowl, and then I won that golf tournament. And then the next year and, and since then, they've had me bounce around group to group and kind of be an extra ball for, for the groups as they go around. So um, I don't, I guess I don't know exactly how well I play. I think that I hit some pretty good shots for some people, but uh, I used to be, um, I used to be a scratch golfer, you know, since, since uh, my first daughter was almost five, uh, I, I play a lot less during, you know, and our window to play is pretty short during the summer. Uh, and only really the first half of that, I feel healthy enough to go out and swing a golf club on my day off. And so, I don't play quite as much anymore, but I mean, if you you throw some money on the line, I'm going to go out and uh, I'll shoot in the 70s. Before we let you go, you're coming back to Winnipeg. You mentioned you're at the airport. Of course, you might get here the same time that Adam Big Hill is in, landed with the signing of him, but you're here for something else. You're going to Brandon Friday. Is that right, Matt? Yeah, that's right. Uh, You'll go out to a hockey game there. Uh, This can be be awesome. You'll go out to see the fans that are, uh, you know, in the area, but outside of Winnipeg and, you know, maybe not always able to make 
you know, our events in Winnipeg and someone go out there and I think we're doing an autograph signing after the first intermission, uh, puck drop, and I think some other uh, uh, kind of events throughout the night. And you know, so really looking forward to that and, and uh, you know, getting to go connect with some Bomber fans that are, you know, out on the outskirts outside of Winnipeg. All right, Matt, before we let you go, I also have to ask you this question because I don't think we've ever asked you this. We usually, or we often ask the Bombers this question. Uh, what's your go-to sandwich? Oh, <laughs> go-to sandwich. Grilled oh, cheese is always a good response if you don't have anything off the top of your head. Peanut butter and jelly is unacceptable, <laughs> Matt Nichols. It's it's far too often the go-to. What have you got? No, I would. I mean, I would. I would want if I was building a sandwich. I mean, I would want some, uh, you know, some really high quality turkey with some bacon, uh, lettuce, tomato, onion. Some kind of fancy aioli and some stone ground mustard would be like a perfect uh, kind of sandwich for me. That's it's extremely the grilled cheese thing is hard for me because I am eating good right now, and so my daughters eat grilled cheese, and it is really hard when they don't eat a few bites and not just finish it for them. I hear you. In my house, the rule is I don't make one for myself because I know I'm going to inevitably devour half of theirs. So I, I get it. That's a tough one to walk away from. Yes, it's very tough. They get. I mean. The kids are just living the dream of just, you know, it's playtime and they get to eat whatever they want and they're just just fine. Matt Nichols, quarterback for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome back to Winnipeg later today and uh, good luck this year. We're rooting for you, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. Greg, here's the ominous headline at globalnews.ca. British Parliament expected to vote down Theresa May's Brexit deal. Yes, after two years, more than two years of political upheaval, British lawmakers are preparing to deliver their verdict on Prime Minister Theresa May's divorce deal with the European Union. All signs point to it receiving a resounding thumbs down from Parliament, a development that would throw British politics into further Turmoil and joining us to talk about this and get the latest from London, Redmond Shannon joins us now. And Redmond, what is the sense here? Uh, are our headlines accurate? Is that the sense you're getting? Parliament will, in fact, vote this down and maybe we'll make that a quick answer. And maybe more importantly, what happens next if that's the case? Yeah, that's right. All pundits are saying that this will be voted down. I am directly opposite the heads of parliament right now. I don't know if you guys can hear, but it is chaos. It is mayhem. There are protesters from all sides. It's not just two sides to Brexit. There's four, five, six, seven, eight sides to Brexit. So many thoughts about how this should work. And that is essentially the same inside the House of Parliament among the 650 MPs. It's not split two ways, it's sort of split four ways. And therefore, there is no majority for anything. No, but there is, it's very hard to see any proposal find a majority of MPs who will agree on it. So if, as we expect, this will be voted down tonight, we could see many things happen. What the most obvious, perhaps, thing to happen would be that the UK ends up falling out of the EU at the end of March. And if that happens, that could cause travel problems. It could cause trade chaos. You could have lineups of 20 kilometers at the ports. You could have issues with medicine and food being imported. People say that's scaremongering, but that could happen. You could have border checks between Northern Ireland and Ireland. That could happen in theory overnight. But the, the hope is that if, if and when this is voted down tonight, that MPs and the government uh, and parties, uh, particularly the opposition here, will come together and find some sort of 
way, some sort of third way, some sort of fifth way perhaps to find a resolution here so that that calamitous overnight Brexit doesn't happen and there's some sort of smooth transition that means it's less disruptive. But right now, nobody knows. And if anybody tells you they know what's going to happen over the next three months, I think they might be spinning you you, you uh, a little yarn. Well, we've, a little lear- yarn. we've learned the hard way to not ask anyone to predict when it comes to this Brexit situation, but we could certainly hear the crowd there, the drums and the chanting. And you mentioned all the ramifications of what could happen if this is given the thumbs down. Is there any possibility that all those different factions, the different sides could erupt, that you might see just further protests or violence or chaos on the streets when it just comes to the people and their anger? I don't think you're going to see violence. There, there were some nasty um, verbal uh, incidents here at where the press hangout in the last couple of weeks. A couple of MPs were um, verbally abused. It was very unsavory, but police are, are taking a closer look at that now. Tempers are running high. And of course, we, you shouldn't forget that in the weeks leading up to the Brexit referendum uh, in June two, 2016, Uh, Joe Cox, a Labour MP who opposed Brexit, was murdered outside of a constituency event in her riding by a man who shouted the words Britain first. So, yes, it is. There is potential for it. It seems like that sort of thing is 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 an outlier, thankfully, tragic and horrendous as it was. But you don't feel there is no sense that it would get any worse than people being very upset and so many people are very exercised by this because so many people feel passionate about it, be they on one side or the other. So it's it's so hard to predict, but hopefully, whatever the outcome is, people will start to coalesce around some sort of eventual happy medium, wherever that may be. Redman, you know, I don't want to speak in certainties, but it appears to me from where we're sitting here, the one certainty that will come out of this is the end of... Theresa May's term as Prime Minister, one way or the other, she's already announced that she will not run again. But could this happen much sooner than later? Well, she said, she's indicating that she won't stand aside if this fails, but she has said a lot of things in the past that she's had to roll back on. She's tried to push ahead. Tried. She, remember, campaigned against Brexit, but she is accepting the will of the people, as she says, to, camp- to, to push it ahead and make it happen because that's what the people voted for. So never say never when it comes to Brexit. I would say it's unlikely. I would say she will keep plowing on at the very least until March and beyond March to make sure there is some sort of deal or something to agree upon. I don't think you'll see Theresa May stand down immediately, but again, People have been proven wrong so many times when it comes to this uh, divisive issue here in London. Redmond Shannon, Europe correspondent for Global National. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thanks for listening to the Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.